Hi, this is Fernie, your resident psychic medium and spiritual teacher, and you are listening to Fernie Unfiltered, where we dive into topics that enlighten, inform, and entertain the soul. So today, I want to talk about faith and what it is about to kind of have it, and what real faith looks like looks like in comparison to like fake faith or a faith that is built on a foundation that really isn't sustainable. Um, and uh, the person that I want to use for this conversation is my good friend Kendall, um, who he himself has had to kind of reassess his entire outlook on faith and um, what it really means to believe in something um, that feels significant and, and has substance and is more solid than than what you thought. So, hey, Ken. Hey there, how's it going? Good, I'm doing great. So, uh, it's taken us a few uh, days or weeks <laughs> to sit down and record this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, yeah. yeah, and that's because you have a different, like, you just, you're more of a night person, I'm more of a day person, and... Uh, so by the time you're waking up and just getting going with your day, I'm pretty much like, I'm starting to like dive, nosedive. Totally, totally. It's all, it's all good. I mean, I think it all comes out in the wash in the end with, uh, you know, yeah. the coronavirus situation and everyone. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, so you know, I hear in Texas that they're opening everything up so you can start going out and having fun and partying again, right? Is that, is well, that, are you looking forward to all that? <laughs> so, you know. <laughs> Uh, before, before we had the stay, uh, the stay in home order, uh, I actually started self-quarantining like two weeks before it was Mm. officially mandated. And I, Mm. I will be doing the same thing. I will be, you know, self-quarantining even after, uh, they say it's okay. Just because, I mean, you know, I just want to see what's going to happen. I'm not going to be the, I'm not going to be the guinea pig, you know, to be going out there. So, um, I, I think that we've got, you know, a lot more um, development to this story. And I don't want to be part of that development. I'm just going to play it safe. So, yeah. Yeah. I had a, um, I had a client um, post something on my um, Facebook page and it was talking about the, the virus and how, cause I, I was on, uh, do you remember when I did the, the Sylvia Brown uh, video where right after, like I had had her granddaughter on the show, um, then all of a sudden this all started blowing up in Sylvia Brown's video and, or what she had said in her books started going viral. Do you remember that? I do remember that. Yes. Yes. Okay. So in that video, in the, in the, I did a follow-up video. So after I did the one with Ia, her granddaughter, then I did the follow-up video. And in the follow-up video, I essentially was giving my own take and kind of highlighting what Sibia had said. And, but then I also started to go into detail about what I felt or what I thought regarding the virus. And what I had mentioned then, which um, you know, people may not have grasped it. Yeah, I didn't even grasp it because I didn't know what the hell I was saying in the moment. I was just speaking out of my ass at that point. But um, I was basically talking about this like protein sequence or this the makeup of the protein of the virus. So there's almost like the virus structure itself, and then in, and then when it becomes when it gets into the system of someone else, per se the host, it 
you essentially starts to pe- like get pieces of the host's cell and it starts to use it for its own, um, I guess, signature within the body. So it, it, a big component of this or a big part of this was the uh, protein stru- structure or the protein sequence or the certain protein aspects of the virus. And that I felt that that was going to break down or that was going to stop at some point because the self-replicating process of the virus wouldn't be able to continue. So because that wouldn't be able to continue, um, I felt like the virus was going to just collapse and it was no longer going to be a viable like virus. And so that I mentioned that at that video and parts of it. And then I also mentioned it when I sat down with Julie, uh, Julia Wang, we talked about it as well in her vlog. And uh, so I, you know, kind of, tell people a little bit about this. Well, like a client, she posted something on my Facebook and she's like, Hey, I thought about you. And I, you know, uh, thought about you when, when you, I saw your video and I uh, thought you might want to look at it. And it was a, it's an article from a paper. I think it's in Jerusalem or in, um, in that side of the the world. And it talks about this, this uh, study that is there being that's con- being conducted in China with uh, a lot of the scientists and medical community regarding the virus and how um, and what she was trying to point out was that I had said that the virus would be mutating or there would be like so many mutations in all the different countries and such and what right. they found in the article is um, or the study is that there's like been forty mutations of the virus or there was like all these mutations so I thought okay well that's cool right um, craziness so then. I know, right? So I was like, okay, okay, you know, I get that part. Like, that's no biggie. Like mutations, I, well, you would expect there to be mutations. I mean, with most viruses or with most um, flu viruses, there's a mutation of some sort. But in this instance, when I read the article, it said that a lot of this had to do with the protein structure of the virus and how basically the the certain protein uh, aspects of the virus latch onto a human cell. Um, uh, based off of those proteins. So it's like these proteins that kind of connect the pieces and it gets what it needs, the material from the host uh, DNA uh, DNA molecule or DNA um, uh, genome. And it uses that for its own like reproduction purposes. So I was like reading the article, I was like, oh, this sounds oddly familiar to what I was saying about that replication. Uh, so yeah, so I was like, okay, well, let me just put a picture out there because people were probably like, you know, what the hell was he talking about this protein thing? Or what? I'm like, I, I saw it in my head. So the only thing I could do was like, share what i got in my head as a picture but i put the picture out there so we'll see if that ends up even being part of it it's you know it's really it's insane uh just the the amount of um uncertainty you know we're talking Mm -hmm. about you know this this conversation ultimately is going to be about faith but you know i think a lot of people are in the process of having you know, their own faith, even in, even in, you know, just what they understand the health, healthcare system to be able to, to do and Mm -hmm. modern medicine to be able to do. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of uncertainty around how this virus is playing out and what the next level is, what the next steps are. And, you know, just, it just has a lot of people shaking right now because, you know, the, just the uncertainty of, of it all. You know, this is all new, yeah. all novel to yeah. us. So. Well, you had even, you sent me an art, uh, you sent me what, like a, a post or, or something. It was from um, the guy from Microsoft. What's his name? Um, uh, Bill Gates. Bill Gates. Yes. You sent that over and you were like, take a look at the comments. And I was, cause he had, did a, he had did an interview with some guy from a news, uh, 
that da- what is it da- david muir the cute guy from uh nbc i think it's nbc or yeah. 11 yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. And um, so I was, I was reading the comments and like, they were, everybody's like, you're going to go to hell and you're evil and you're the devil. And you're, you know, you're like, so they were like completely attacking Bill Gates. And I was like, holy shit, like these people are not trying to play. And what you mentioned was people are woke, like they're waking up and they know that they're being lied to. They know that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. Right. And uh, so like, and, and what I told you was, yeah, but you know, when people wake up, they don't really know what, you know, they, they know that what they are experiencing isn't the tr- truth. They know that they're being lied to, but people at that point get desperate for truth and they start reaching for any pieces, any puzzle pieces oh, that yeah. make some sense to them, right? Totally, totally. And, you know, that that whole rebuilding process of faith in anything, you know, will certainly have that reaching process where every, where you know, you're just trying to grab on to, to what, you know, to what feels right or to what could fit into your logic or, mm-hmm. you know, what resonates with you. And yeah, but I, th- I think it's all, it all serves a good purpose. Even, even like the, you know, the crazies that, that are into, you know, a lot of just far out there, uh, conspiracy theories. I think that there's, right. there's value in that too, because it's all a process. Right. So, right. Well, there's enough, there's enough, I mean, there's enough truth sprinkled in throughout all these different things across the world. I mean, you've got some people believing this is like a a bioweapon. You've got some people believing that this is 5G. This is not a real virus. You've got some people believing this whole thing is made up and this isn't real. You've got some people believing this is just a really um, bad case of the flu and the media has used this to turn it against, you know, the president or whatever. So you've got so many different theories flying out there. And if you were to sit down and kind of review what people are using as evidence to support all these theories, you're going to see that there is definitely evidence evidence to support the theories. However, that doesn't mean that it makes the theory true. You know, it, it just means that there's pieces that connect some dots and some things that are important. And I think people are just, they want a complete narrative. They want a complete story that feels true. So they're reaching for something, even if it's like one truth in a complete storyline, that one truth is more accurate than what they've been told or what they're sensing or seeing from the media and from the way that the world is functioning at this point. For sure. And you just said something that's really, really important um, is the fact that, um, you know, from any given perspective, there is a certain um, perception of truth, uh, regardless of what, you know, I mean, that's how conspiracy theories kind of thrive and develop is because there is some amount of truth from that particular perspective. But what I think is so important Mm -hmm. is, um, you know, for people to just really do their own due diligence and realize that, you know, it's just like two sides of an argument, you know, like both people can be right depending on what their perspective is. Like it's really important that you get as many perspectives as possible and, um, you know, before you go too far down the rabbit hole and, and, uh, start believing blindly, you know, just to support that little piece of truth that you can see from your perspective, go, go to the other side and look at it from that side and see, you know, what the other person is saying or what that, what the truth is on that side. So, 
Yeah. Well, you know, this reminds me of the documentary that came out uh, from Stephen Greer just like a couple, I think it was like a couple of weeks ago. Um, and he released his latest documentary. And you had told me about it before I got a chance to watch it. Um, and then I ended up tuning in and watching it. I still haven't finished it. Like I only watched, I think, a, like two thirds of it. And I still have another third to watch. But I'm like super excited about that because I'm already impressed and excited with what I've seen so far with the documentary. And for those of you who don't know who Stephen Greer is, Stephen Greer is a, uh, a he's an MD or a, a doctor of sorts who essentially got kind of sucked into the entire ET, extraterrestrial, aliens, UFOs, et cetera, et cetera. He got sucked into that um, field through his associations and through his own personal experiences. And so he's been kind of doing his own research and trying to find the truth of it all um, over the last, what, 30, 40 years of his life. Um, And I've seen other documentaries as well. I mean, he's not the only person out there who says they know what's going on or they know the truth. You know, you've got um, the people over at uh, the, to the stars Academy who uh, believe that they are following, you know, a truth or they're trying to get to the core of the matter. You've got uh, David Wilcox and Corey good, and they're spinning their um, narratives on that. They were doing it on a Gaia and now they're kind of, gone freelance because that relationship ended a business relationship with Gaia ended but you know you've got them and they're sharing their truths and in in listening and watching these documentaries and listening to these people speak the stuff sounds so mind-blowing that it makes you want to just immediately like latch on as if it's the 100% gospel because your mind is your mind is my you're mind blown and i think the shock value and the aha of that oh my god this is absolutely incredible information it must be true because i feel so excited about it that doesn't make it true it doesn't make it um, it doesn't make it the, the 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 gospel. It just means you are resonating with the the authenticity or the source of the information. That doesn't mean that the entire narrative or what you're being given is true. But there's something there that you're resonating to, and I think people resonating to something in truth or to something in an authentic form is so important because just because your mind is blown doesn't mean it's true. Just because you if it's incredible and it sounds like it makes complete sense and you're resonating to it making so much sense doesn't make it true but there's still pieces and aspects of truth there that you have to kind of weed and 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 try to work through because you have every person's bias um kind of uh, attaching itself to the narrative in one way or another it's what i was saying i did i just did a video a few days ago where i said um you know this what tends to happen with psychics is that they they usually will sense one piece of information, one little piece of truth, or and it's accurate. They've got it down. But then what they end up getting wrong is they build an entire narrative and story around that one little piece of information because – they have their own. They have their own narratives. They have their own biases. They have their own perspective and preferences and how they would assume or how they would think things would progress. Um, and so, if you have a, a, a female who's a psychic and she had an awful husband or a, a boyfriend who was so abusive to her, you know, when she's doing a reading, you know, she might sense that your your significant other did not tell you everything in regards to the 
situation with a coworker um, of his. And so she's going to take that and spin her own bias and narrative around it and say, you know, he's evil. He's a narcissist. He's a, you know, an asshole. He's, he's hiding these, these horrible secrets and yada, 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 not realizing that this is going to have an impact on the person receiving the reading because they're going to run with it. And they're going to think, oh my God, my boyfriend's a complete asshole and he's evil and yada, yada. When in fact, he probably just didn't tell you um, that he was essentially having to work with someone closely at work because that was what what he was assigned to and he just didn't he wasn't sure how you were going to feel so he didn't want to tell you uh, because he probably thought you would get pissed off because you have a a tendency to be jealous so it's almost like this one very simple thing that is all of a sudden spiraled and spun into this incredible beyond you know just life-shattering event or life-shattering situation and it's the same thing with these documentaries in et and how people they know that this is real there's enough people around the world who have had enough experiences that they know this is real but what is the truth what is the story what is the actual situation and unfortunately i don't think any of any of the people who've done documentaries know the complete truth because there's so many parts to it that it's kind of hard to know everything unless you know you are in the center of it all and you're coordinating everything like a madman behind the scenes like the wizard of oz you know the man behind the curtain but i have yet to know of anyone like that because even with the story about ufos there's these different departments and different um areas or aspects of the government and military, et cetera, who are kind of engaged in this in various ways. So it's like, what's real and what's not, which is, that brings us to our topic, which is faith and religion. Because I mean, you kind of had an experience like that where your faith was completely shattered and the story, the narrative that you have been learning about and you had been um, understanding for many, many years, all of a sudden that was just completely eaten away by circumstances. So tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, my uh, the evolution of my faith has has uh, sort of developed over quite some time. Um, I was raised as a very devout Catholic in Southern Louisiana, and um, my you know my entire family has been Catholic for generations. And uh, back in two thousand nine, I my younger sister unexpectedly passed away. And that was the first time that um, my belief system and my entire family's belief system had actually really been shaken as as yeah. much as it had been. And so, you know, in times of crisis uh, is when we typically will turn to our faith and try to get some type of either consolation or really understanding. Really was the the driving force behind that, and. Um, you know, not to knock any particular denomination or, or faith system, but um, we just, you know, collectively as a family did not find the the understanding or the answers that we thought we should have been able to get from our belief system in the Catholic Church. So I do want to, you know, make a disclaimer here and say that I love the... Uh, the pageantry of a, of a Catholic mass. I think that there's <laughs> so much beauty and, and, yeah. um, in those, uh, you know, in, in the traditions. service. Yeah. I just think it's gorgeous. Yeah. I think it's the rituals it's and the traditions for sure. Yeah. For sure. And yeah. you know, it, it's certainly very powerful. Um, but we needed something more, you know? So, um, 
that's how we kind of found our way into a um, just a more mainstream Christian church that was much more um, Bible-centered and Bible-based. So it wasn't necessarily based on the 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 traditions and the rights of a religion as much as it was just in the biblical text. And so that was actually a bit more, um, I'd say it was a bit more enlightening. I would say that's the first time that I started to like open my eyes and say, okay, well, what I believe is that, is that accurate? You know, like the way that I've been doing things had started to come into question. Um, so uh, let's see. So once I, you know, once I kind of found my footing, my family found our footing in this new faith system, this new um, belief system. I mean, it wasn't radically different because it was still Christian after all, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't following the, uh, you know, the, t- the, the strict teachings of the Catholic church in the sense of like, um, you know, not eating meat on Fridays during Lent and, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It was more about the relationship that we were building with, with, uh, Christ. So. Oh, an interesting, an, yeah. an interesting little, little, little memo about that. A lot of people don't realize that bec- uh, the whole idea of eating fish on, you know, eating fish on the weekends or you know, not eating meat on Fridays, uh, People think, oh, you know, well, that's because, you know, they, if you ask someone, they don't know where that came from. But what ended up happening is around the time that that was actually put into policy by the Catholic Church, they had owned a majority or they had been heavily taxing a lot of the fisheries at that time. And so they were getting a lot of their income from the fisheries and even owned stakes in some of those um, some of those uh, organizations. And so they needed to increase their revenue because they weren't seeing enough um, profit from that. And people were starting to get more um, access to beef and to meats and to different types of um, protein besides fish. Um, So they were losing business. And so they decided to increase um, at first, they decided to increase taxes and the cost of fish, which that kind of backfired on, on them. So they ended up working with uh, the church because the church, uh, the, the the at the at the local levels, they just you know say, hey, we need money. You guys need to roll out this policy that there's no more meat on Fridays, and they needed you know and this is whole idea around it being some sort of divine practice and so forth, but it actually was just an attempt for the Catholic church to increase its revenue and sales. Um, and if people go and look this up, they will find the evidence that supports that. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, I actually, um, you know, I, one of my undergraduate degrees is at a, was at a private Catholic university. So um, I took a ton of classes on the history of the Catholic church, how the Catholic Mm. church was formed and the teachings and stuff like that. And, and I can say that the, you know, this, this university was liberal enough to be able to show us the historical sides of that, you know, selling absolution Mm. and things like that. So, you know, I've known for quite some time that, uh, you know, that a lot of the practices that, that we do, um, or that we had done in the Catholic religion was based on, you know, political, um, Mm decisions or financial decisions, things like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's sold as, you know, this, the reason the Catholic church does the, the, the fish on Fridays during Lent is because of the, uh, you know, it's to, it's to sort of serve a penance 
a suffering during the Lenten times to, mm-hmm. to remind ourselves of the, the suffering that Christ went through. So um, that's how it's branded. That's how it's marketed right. and sold. <laughs> you know, right, like, right, right. The real behind that is a little bit different. So, um, but yeah, it was, so it was things like that where, you know, I, we had just believed that blindly that, well, that's, you know, if that's what the church teaches and that's what Jesus wants us to do. But when we really started mm-hmm. digging into the Bible for answers about, you know, why this, why this devastating thing had happened to my family and, um, you know, other things started to come up like, Hey, you know, I've been through a lot of biblical texts and I have not found any scripture that really supports the fact that Jesus doesn't want us eating hamburgers on Friday during the Lent, you know, right. things like that. Right. So, um, so that's the first time that I really started kind of waking up to it. The, the second big blow to, to my faith was the, um, my mother, uh, had, had been diagnosed with cancer. And of course, again, like, you know, anytime you have a crisis, you run to your faith. So we, the entire family just kind of buckled down on this belief system that, um, that, you know, mainstream Christianity teaches and that, you know, it's Jesus's will that everyone is healed. And all you have to do is believe that healing is for you and you can be healed because he took all of our sicknesses on the cross with him and, um, you know, really dove deep into that ideology. So that means, you know, really learning, you know, how does the Bible teach us to pray? Because I want to make sure that I'm praying effectively. That way my mom makes it through this. disease. And, um, so that in and of itself was a major, major, uh, journey into what I thought my faith system was and just really just entrenching myself to, to make sure that I'm doing this, this faith thing the right way, because the stakes were really high. I mean, my mother's life was on the line, you know? Um, and did, did, did anyone there ever like, did any of the people who were helping you guys out with your faith and with, you know, the practices in Christianity and so forth in, in that community, did people ever say, you know, you can pray this away or you just have to pray hard enough or you just have to pray and this will be relinquished or this will go away? Oh yeah. That was always, um, it was always the understanding, you know, so from a, from the Catholic side of it, you know, my Catholic roots, you know, I, I thought that, well, let me say, it's just really interesting how the different um, denominations look at at this type of thing, particularly mm-hmm. the whole like f- prayer and and relationship with God and um, you know asking God for things like healing. You know, in the Catholic faith, something bad happens, and it was you know my understanding and my upbringing, my perspective of that was well, it's God's will. If it's God's will for you to have cancer, then it's it's that's what's going to happen. There is no rhyme or reason. It's just you just have to accept it and suffer like a good Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why the this newfound, um, you know, mainstream Christianity denomination was so appealing to to my family. That's why it was so appealing was because it was well, no, it's really not God. You know, God is not um, 
you know, he's not an angry uh, figure that is looking to punish you. He loves you and you have unconditional love. And of course he wants you to be healed. And here's all the scripture that says, you know, by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. You know, Jesus healed. And, and so we can be healed. And so that's what was so attractive about it. The fact that, um, no, actually we do serve a very loving God and, um, you know, when something bad happens, you have a protection, you have a protector, you have someone that can help you through this and will get you through it. So yeah, we actually had no, um, there was never a doubt that she would be healed in our perspective, from our perspective, you know, we thought we truly believed that, um, that God was going to, to take this cancer away and, and make her life this incredible testimony, um, to God's healing power. Yeah. And, um, you know, we really dove deeply into, you know, what, what the scripture says about that, um, and of course, it wasn't just about healing; it was about everything else. You know, it, you know, really taking the scripture and trying to apply it to our lives. And um, in two, so she was diagnosed in two thousand thirteen, the end of two thousand thirteen, and she passed away at the end of two thousand eighteen. And that was a major, major blow to, to our faith. Um, I mean, I'm telling you, it was, it was such a, it was such a zealous faith, um, an approach that we had, you know, I, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't to the point where, you know, she refused medication and and treatment because she thought God would heal her on his own. Like she, you know, we genuinely did everything from both a uh, physical, you know, worldly standpoint, from a medical uh, perspective, as well as a, um, you know, a religious standpoint, in terms of, you know, we're going to do everything possible, and we're going to do everything the right way to make sure that, you know, we get the desired outcome. And, um, well, you, you probably have people who are listening to this and they're probably thinking, well, you probably did not pray enough or you probably did not do enough to kind of pray the right way or to get God to, to absolve this or to stop this from happening. And you told me that you had been praying, I mean, like going to sleep at night, praying and spending hours a day praying, trying to change the situation. Oh yeah. Well, you know, that, well, first of all, she was on every prayer list we could possibly put her on. Um, Mm -hmm. we had multiple churches across the country praying for her, um, friends, family. I know that I personally, you know, devoted myself to, um, to prayer every single day. And, you know, honestly, from the time of the diagnosis, it was very much um, a major, it was a major thought that was always on my mind. And it was always on mm-hmm. my mom's mind. It was never a situation where we said, um, well, in the beginning, it was never a situation where we said, um, you know what, 
God's got it. So we're just not going to worry about it. It was, we're going to do whatever we have to do in terms of playing our part. So, you know, just naturally when you have something that, that looms so large as life and death, um, you know, over your life, it was the first thing that I thought of when I woke up and it was the last thing that I thought of before I went to bed. And every single time when I say, when I think of it, it wasn't just, oh, wow, I hope the situation gets better. Anytime I thought about it, I was praying about it. Mm. So, you know, to the point where after she passed, I realized that I didn't, I re- I didn't pray for anything else but that. That was ultimately the main dialogue that I had running through my mind all day long. And it was a dialogue with God, thanking him for healing her in advance, um, reminding him of scripture because, uh, mm. you know, scripturally it says, you know, keep him in remembrance of his promises. And so, you know, I was constantly quoting scripture to God. God, you said that, you know, with a faith the size of a mustard seed, we can move mountains. You know, um, mm-hmm. you said by the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. I mean, there were, there were, you know, just dozens of scriptures that I was constantly, um, you know, reciting and praying and thanking God for. And I didn't realize just how much of my inner thought world was devoted to, I mean, literally from the time I woke up to the time I went to bed, if mm-hmm. I had a silent moment, I was thinking about this situation and praying about it. And, you know, to kind of to answer your question, um, more to the point of, you know, maybe you didn't do it the right way. Um, that was a major concern. The, from the very beginning, it was always, well, how do I make sure that I do this right? Because if, you know, there, there's tons of, uh, there are tons of resources out there about learning how to pray effectively, you know, learning how to pray so God will hear you or praying the way Jesus did. I mean, I, my bookshelf is full of books and, and CDs and DVDs that are about that very topic, how to pray effectively. Because what it, what it implied to me is if there's a resource that says how to pray effectively, then that implies that, that I could be praying wrong. So I need to make sure that I learn how I'm praying, you know, learn how to pray right and pray correctly. And so that's what I would say to those people that said, well, maybe you didn't pray hard enough. Maybe you didn't pray the right way. Um, trust me, it was my full-time job, you know, and I know that it wasn't only just, um, you know, myself, but my entire family. I mean, you know, my, my mom's mom is still living. And, and so she was, you know, I mean, we really took it as a daily armoring going into battle. We would armor ourselves with the word of God and we would go to battle every single day for her and, and praying away, trying to pray away the, this, um, you know, sickness that the enemy was trying to put on my mom. So, um, so when it was, yeah, then the inevitable happens, you know, and that doesn't work. Right. Right. And I can tell you, that my faith was in such a position that 
I, you know, even as she was declining, I thought that this was just part of God's plan, that he was Mm -hmm. going to let everyone see, you know, just how sick she could be to see how much more amazing this healing was going to be. And, you know, I had read many stories about people who have, you know, literally died of incurable diseases and, you know, were, you know, came back to life, um, you know, minutes after only to be completely healed. You know, I'm, Mm. I'm thinking of one story in particular that's you know the book is an, a national uh, is a is a uh, global bestseller an international bestseller but this woman was diagnosed with terminal cancer and she ended up dying from this disease and you know something like 20 or 30 minutes later she came back and she was completely mm. healed and she wrote this book about it and so you know i was my faith had been fortified with stories like that and you know jesus raising Lazarus from the dead and all of this other stuff that even in the midst of everything just going so South Mm -hmm. um, and even after she passed, I I mean, I would be lying if I didn't say that I sat there with her after she passed waiting for her to come back Mm. because that's, that is what my faith told me was possible and was available yeah. to us if we believed. So. So after, I mean, after that happening and you, how long did it take for you to come to the realization? Not accept, because I think it took much longer to accept that this was the reality that you were you were facing now. How long do you think it took you to kind of come to terms with the fact that she wasn't coming back to life from the perspective um, that you were used to. Yeah, it was, pr- you know, I, um, I knew it, you know, the, I had a knowing, you know, in, in my, in my heart and my soul that, when she passed probably about, you know, 20 or 30 minutes after I knew that that was it. Um, but you know, my mind, and even though I knew that in my soul, I knew that in my heart, I think that, I think that our souls know these things, you know, there's an inherent mm-hmm. knowing. And I remember when my sister passed, she was on life support for several days before, um, we were forced to make the decision to remove her from life support. But, you know, my mom would tell me stories that, you know, she knew from the minute that she got the call that they, you know, that there had been an accident and that she was going to be transported and and all of this stuff. She knew that she was not going to make it. It was, it wasn't, it had nothing to do with faith. It was a, it was a, an, an, um, an instinctual knowing, you know, in, in her soul. So I would say that I had that same knowing, but again, you know, my, my head kept saying, well, you know, faith is the belief in things unseen, you know, mm-hmm. faith, radical faith doesn't make sense, you know, so, so, you know, regardless of what the doctors say, regardless of, I have to, 
I have to hold that space and stand in the gap of, of reality and faith in the chance that God shows up and does this thing that we're believing for. So it was about, it was about an hour before I let my brain um, meet my heart on that matter. Mm. Yeah. So then that breaks, I mean, that damn, what you've been holding back this immense amount of doubt, you know, immense amount of, because in any faith, even in just going into any religious belief system, even as a child, if you're brought up in the faith, I questioned everything. I always wondered, you know, is this true? Is this not, you know, worse, you know, why, why? I always wondered why. And you went through this really extensive process of kind of deconstructing your capacity for the why, and you kind of reconditioned yourself with an even stronger, more affirmative idea of belief that this is what it is, you know? And I know to play the devil's advocate, you're probably going to have some really ignorant people who are going to listen to this and say, well, you know, since she took your sister's life, since y'all took her off life support, then this is God punishing your mother for, you know, making that decision and taking her off life support because she took her life and it wasn't her life to take. Like, you're going to have ignorant people think that way, but to allow someone to go when they're in this level of pain and suffering and you know that any opportunity or possibility for them to be who they were even remotely is probably extinguished at that point to just let them go is one of the kindest most loving acts you can you know you can take you have people around the world who they put their animals down because they're going through so much pain and suffering and yet you know we have more compassion and 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 we have more acceptance of people being doing that out of compassion than for ourselves, you know, where we don't give ourselves a break and allow ourselves to give someone the gift of peace in, you know, right. sometimes death is peace when someone is going through such a painful experience as that. Yeah. Well, to give it, to give that situation a little bit more clarity, um, she technically, I mean, I say life support, I mean, it, it technically was life support that she was on, but she was clinically brain dead. I mean, there was right. my sister, there was no, as a matter of fact, I mean, it was the way the doctors explained it was that it would have been illegal to keep her on the, the breathing machine that she had. Cause she, she was, t she was clinically dead. You know, she was, right. she had clinically passed because there was zero brain activity. Um, so, you know, that ultimately, um, you know, as, as grim as it is, you know, I, I've learned, and she did pass from a traumatic brain injury. Um, and you know, what I've learned since then is that that's just standard procedure that most hospitals will put patients that have similar injuries where it's just the, just the brain that's had a traumatic injury. Um, they'll put those patients on life support to keep the organs alive in case you want to um, donate their organs, donate the organs. That was the only mm. reason why she was put on life support. I mean, when she, when she went, when she got to the hospital, she was essentially, you know, she had essentially passed already. Um, yeah. so, so I don't really see it so much as a, 
you know, I don't even think we let her go in that, in that, I think she had, she was already gone. Um, right. You know, but you have people who, you know, they fundamentally believe that if something is alive where there's still blood, you know, running through their veins, their heart is still working, even if it's an artificial process from a machine, that they're still alive. You know, it's, it's, it comes down to p- some people believe that, that, uh, technicality per se, but we know better. We know that, oh, it's not that sweetheart. It's not that black and white. Like, there's lots of gray. You know, it's, there's right. a lot well, in the middle good. there. Yeah, until you're in that situation, I, I think it's easy to believe that because, you know, yeah. we, you know, my family has, has always been, I mean, let me put it this way. If, if legally we could have kept her on those machines, then the, um, she would still be on that machine. It, yeah. My mom did not, it did not want to take her off. So, um again, to bring a little bit more specificity to the situation, when I say decided to take her off, this is how it was presented to us. So legally, she has, she's legally, she's legally passed. Um, She was on a ventilator and she was on medication that kept her heart beating that was fed through an IV. So they said that since she had failed all of the brain function tests and everything that legally they couldn't keep her on those machines. So we could either take her off of the ventilator, choose to take her off of the ventilator, or they would have to stop the medication that keeps her heart beating. And if they Mm -hmm. went that route, she would go into cardiac arrest. And it's a much more um, dramatic and, and traumatic experience yeah Mm -hmm. so they were like you know so ultimately it was we were told medication runs out and you know x amount of hours this is what it's going to be like so we can either stop the ventilator or we can let the medication run out it's your choice so so when i say that was when i say we chose that's the choice that we had you know Mm. it was do you want her to stop breathing or do you want her to go into cardiac arrest? Mm-hmm. And um, so, you know, again, until you're put in that situation, you know, I, I remember years ago with the, um, the Terry Schiavo case where she was on a feeding tube and her husband removed the feeding tube and, um, you know, the whole right to live and right to die situation came about and, um, you know, I, I was firmly, my entire family was firmly on the side of the family um, that, you know, you continue any type of, you know, life-giving um, measures necessary, you know, and we just did not have that option. That was not something that was available to us. You think it would be, um, right. it's not, it's not. So, mm. So of course, so that then, was the first big blow to, to faith. And then the second blow, again, was the cancer diagnosis. The third blow was, you know, my mother actually passing. And um, I can tell you the reason why it was such a, you know, a devastating blow to my faith system was because from my perspective, we had done every single thing possible 
Um, you know, we'd follow in the footsteps of everyone who's ever had any type of healing, you know, like there are tons of books out there about, you know, this is, this was my experience. This is what God said to me. And, um, you know, we had even seen in her journey of, of going through, going through the cancer, we had seen some amazing, um, you know, amazing results and, uh, turnarounds even in her, uh, even in her treatment process that we thought, Mm. wow, this is really the hand of God, you know, like, uh, you know, situations where, you know, she kind of bounced around from clinical trial to clinical trial. And there was a period where we were waiting for a clinical trial. Um, so she was, she was not being treated for several, for several weeks and say it was probably two weeks which in, you know, if you're familiar with any type of cancer treatment, that can be a really long time um, right. to be off of treatment. And so we were, I remember we were really, really worried about it, but we, you know, there was nothing that we could do other than you just have faith that God was going to, you know, see her through this little section. And then um, we'd be put on the right clinical trial. And I remember, you know, when we got the call that there was a clinical trial that she was, um, that she was a candidate for, we had gone up to MD Anderson. And of course the process is you have to be rescanned and all that stuff before you start any new kind of clinical trial. So we were actually really worried and concerned about, you know, Oh my gosh, we've just gone two weeks without any type of medication. What will the scans look like? And Mm -hmm. as a matter of fact, like, her scans had actually improved like pretty dramatically. And I mean, that was just one of several instances like that where we were like, Oh my gosh, you know, God's hand is on this thing. Like everything's going to be okay. And so. Well, that's that- gotta be inc- incredibly frustrating because when you are, you know, you're doing everything that you believe you're supposed to do to make this work. And then you start to see these signs and indicators from the universe or from God that this is possible or this is going to turn around and you get these little nods here and there. And then the unthinkable happens and then you find yourself in complete, I mean, was that like a period of denial for you even after, I mean, you, you said you accepted the loss and you accepted, um, that, you know, it took you an hour to kind of come to, to, to let your brain go there. And then it took you a while to kind of even come to a, a position of accepting that this is the reality. After that, did you just start to become angry? Did you go through, what was that like? Yeah. So there, you know, I think that the, that, because of like you like you mentioned because of the nods because of the signs that we had throughout this whole journey and i do i don't want to make it sound like um you know this was all completely blind faith because we had so many um so many i don't want to say indicators but we did have so many signs along the way that it was like god's got this this is like you know, in the very, in the beginning, the first couple years, it was very, it's very scary, you know, because we had never had anyone in our family, you know, be, um, be diagnosed with an illness. So we were really figuring out how, you know, how to rely on God and how to trust, trust that he is going to get us through this. 
And probably about midway, like third year in, that's when it was really apparent to us anyway that like, okay, we can rest in this. Like, we believe that God is going to do it. So and so we went from a period of like begging and asking to thinking. Like the last three years, it was just a constant, just a constant sense of gratitude and being thankful for this amazing work that he's doing. And we, you know, in her healing, and we would see, you know, we would see these things, um, you know, we would, we would see the like evidence of this happening. And, um, you know, her decline was not a slow, gradual decline. There was a, there was an incident where she had, um, she did have a stroke and that is when everything went down, uh, dramatically. So she had the stroke and six, six months later she passed away. Um, but I can tell you that even through the stroke and seeing her, um, you know, learning to walk again and learning to talk again and all of these things, I was just in a constant sense of gratitude that God was doing this major work in her life. Um, and so I say all that to say that when it didn't work out, I went from, you know, there, there was little, there was little to no doubt in my mind at all that she would be healed and that she was going to make a full recovery. So mm-hmm. when it did not happen, it made it that much, um, that much more difficult. So there was no, there was no denial because, you know, um, I did. I, I I will say that I did not go through a pr- a period of denial after she passed away, because it was just such a a magnanimous loss. You know, at that point, I had been with her every single day for six months, um, helping to take care of her, living with her in the rehab facilities and everything. That you know, my entire day was devoted to her. So there was no denying that she passed away. You know what I'm saying? Like there was no denying Mm -hmm. that, that, you know, this didn't work. Um, You know, it's not like someone that you don't see regularly passes away. And, you know, when you're not around them, you can kind of slip into, well, maybe it didn't happen kind of thing. You know, you're right. Right. It wasn't like that. Like, you know, I lived, ate, breathed, slept, everything, you know, everything that I did, it was centered around getting her better. And so when it didn't happen, um, there was a major sense. I'm not even going to say anger. It wasn't anger right away. I didn't get angry right away. The very first response that I had was just a, just a deep aching disappointment and sense of abandonment by God. And a sense of um, betrayal, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, when I look back on it, I say it would have been. I would have probably gone through a different process had there not been, you know, little 
uh, victories along the way. Had there not been these nods and like evidence that like, oh, things are going to be great. Had there not been that, I probably would have come to terms sooner with mm-hmm. the possibility. Um, and then said, well, you know, there really was no proof that what we were doing, quote unquote, was working or that, you know, God was on our side, so to speak. Um, so it wouldn't have been as much of a surprise. But I mean, the really amazing thing that I want to say about my mom is that she, I saw her build the most remarkable ministry during her darkest times. Mm. Um, I can remember she was, you know, she would be sitting in the chair getting her chemo treatment. And, you know, I'd, I'd walk out of the room to, to go get something from the soda machine or something. And I'd come back and there were three other people that were getting chemo at the same time that were, you know, had pulled their chairs up to her and she was Mm. reading the Bible to them or telling Mm. them about, you know, the amazing things that God had done for her and her healing process, both from losing my, my sister and as well as, um, you know, healing some, some really bad side effects of the treatment and the cancer that she had been going through. Um, I mean, like she had some miraculous things happen. I mean, when I say miraculous, I really do mean miraculous, you know, like, um, you know, there were things that the doctors could not explain why she was getting better. You know, I, I, we just attributed all of this to this is God's hand, you know? So, um, that's what felt like such a betrayal. You know, I know that she did so much work to help other people in their grieving processes of losing children to, you know, I've, I've seen her, you know, feel really, really sick and that didn't stop her from getting on the phone and talking to another friend who was going through cancer and lifting them up and helping them feel better. And so you know, I just felt like, I was like, my gosh, every time I looked at her, I was like, look at this. She is amazing. And she is doing God's work. What a remarkable, um, you know, prayer warrior for God. She is what Mm. a, what a great foot soldier she is for God. There's no way he's going to abandon her. And when she passed, that's exactly what it felt like. It felt like God had abandoned her. So that, that was really what I felt at first. And then, of course, when my brain started, when, when the faith that I had built up, when I was finally able to, to let that fall away and just kind of look at the facts and look at how things unfolded, that's when I started getting angry about it. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know what, this is, this is not serving me like to be angry. I this was the first time in my life I'd ever been angry at God. I didn't know how to process it. Um, But I still, it's kind of like I, um, well, first and foremost, I stopped praying. You know, I stopped Mm. talking, I I stopped talking to God. And that was a major change because I had been, I had been in constant prayer all day long. Like, I mean, I had, I had kind of developed prayer into just literally having a writing dialogue with God all day long in my head. 
Like if I was quiet, I was talking to him. So um, that was the last thing that I wanted to do, you know, after she passed. So, you know, I really did go through this withdrawal of, you know, I'm not praying. I didn't touch my Bible and still have not touched my Bible since she passed away, mm-hmm. um, which was a major change for me. I mean, I was reading, I was doing Bible study every single day and it wasn't, um, I do want to make it clear. It wasn't out of punishment. I wasn't like, I didn't feel like I'm mad at you. So now I'm, I'm just not going to talk to you or I'm mad at you. So I'm not going to do the things that I know would make you happy. That's, that's not, that's not what it was at all. It was just, it was literally feeling like you have abandoned me. So I'm not sure if anything that I'm doing matters. Yeah. I'm not sure if the prayers matter. I'm not sure if the Bible study matters. Um, what good would it do? And honestly, I really didn't have I didn't have anything else to pray for. You know, that had dominated my my thought life and my prayer life so much that I really did not know what else to ask God for. I didn't know um, what else there was to talk about. Essentially, you know, you had let me down in 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 something that mattered so much that, you know, everything else seemed to pale in comparison. So mm-hmm. there's nothing else to talk about. You know, if you're going to let me down for something like this, I'm not even going to bother asking for anything else. And so, well, you know, my, my, I, my sister was on the podcast last week and she had a, a similar experience. I mean, she grew up in the Catholic faith and she was um, brought up in private school. And when my uncle died, the, the man who raised her as like her father, after that, she said she just kind of fell out of faith and she stopped going to church. She stopped praying and she, she did go through this kind of angry, resentful period, but it took a while for her to get to that point because she was just kind of heartbroken. I think the the biggest part of her, um, her own experience was that she was heartbroken and then the anger and the resentment set in and then the, the feeling of betrayal and not only for God, but also for my uncle who this was this, this just unshakable force, unshakable energy in her life. And for him to go from, you know, this being this strong fatherly authoritative figure who was just sound and solid all of a sudden go to, he's not there anymore. He's withering away slowly and slowly until he's not there anymore. And, you know, that went, that set her on her path. And she did go through this really intense rebellious period where she just started to rebel with so many parts of her own life. Right. Right. And I, I know that's very common for a lot of people to do. Um, you know, I had some experience with the grief process um, when my sister passed and, you know, we, I didn't go through anything like that. Um, you know, I, I didn't go through any type of rebellious thing when she passed because I thought, well, on, obviously we don't understand this faith thing. We don't understand this God thing the right way. So I sort of took, you know, we sort of took ownership or blame, if you will, that maybe, well, maybe we didn't do something right, you know, but right. I can honestly say with with my mom's sickness and her passing, if there was something to have been done right, we did it. That's something that I have complete confidence in. 
in that we followed the teachings of not not the church, but the Bible. You know, um, that's what we followed, and so what it did in turn was um, it called everything into question. You know, if we did everything by the letter of the law and believed and prayed in the way that the Bible, quote unquote, teaches us to, then there obviously has to be something wrong with the teaching or the belief because it didn't work. And, you know, honestly, that had been something, you know, like there, there's a, a terminology of, um, you know, in some mainstream Christian churches or what do you believe in God for? You know, I'm, Oh, I'm believing God for a new house. I'm believing God for more money. I'm believing God for a new job or this healing or whatever. Um, you know, I thought all of those things paled in comparison to what I was believing God for, you know, and, um, and ultimately the best way that I can say it is it really forced me to grow up in my sense of faith. And and what I mean by that is this was the first time that I had ever had experience with um, sickness like this, um, with loss like this, you know, like an impending loss over time. And, um, you know, I was really, really, really involved with my mom's treatment plan. And, you know, I went with her to every single doctor's appointment, um, helped her to make decisions uh, about her treatment. So I was, I was intimately involved with the details of her treatment and how this whole thing worked. And I can tell you that not only did I lose faith in the belief system that I had before, but I lost faith in the medical system, you know, mm-hmm. like I was like, yeah. how is it that we, you know, you're hearing all the time about curing cancer and all this other stuff when there, you know, s- things that seem so simple. I mean, ultimately, you know, cancer is the body's cells, you know, they're radical cells that are, that are, um, growing at an uncontrolled rate. So it's your body kind of turning against itself. How, how is it that we can't find a way to switch that off? You know, like how is it that with all of the breakthroughs and there are some cancers that are pretty much close to have being cured or that can at least be treated for, you know, decades at a time now that have really long survival rates. Like why is it that she didn't have that, you know, like in my opinion, like the, like medicine and doctors were failing her. Um, Mm -hmm. I also felt like, you know, I had this feeling when my sister passed, you know, when, when somebody passes, it's a large part of your life and the shoe finally drops. It's, it's this overwhelming sense of like, how can the world continue to turn? Like, how can people be going about their business like nothing ever happened? Like, it's just this really odd, like, um, it's just a weird feeling. Like, it's a, it's disorienting. It's, mm-hmm. it's like, like, 
there is no great protector to keep this um, like horrifically tragic thing from happening. And so I realized that I had this false sense of security in our, in our, you know, our science and our medicine and our body's ability to heal themselves. You know, I've always heard, you know, that your body has its ability to heal itself and, you, you know, mind over matter and all this other stuff. And I can tell you that, um, that just wasn't the case. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't working that way. And so I had faith not only in my belief system and, and my higher power, but in a bunch of other things, you know, and, and I had faith in things I, that I still can't even articulate yet. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's that idea that, and there's that saying that when something bad happens, no one ever thinks it's going to happen to you. Right. Like, right why is it that we don't think it's going to happen to us? Like, what is it that we have faith in that is protecting us from something awful happening? I haven't been able to figure out what, what that is yet. You know, it's not just God, but there's something else that, well, that could never happen to me or that could never happen to us. Um, that was gone. You know, like there were so many things that I witnessed through the treat, through her treatment process. Um, you know, being around other people that were going through that as well, uh, seeing the toll that it was taking on her, um, on my family, on her younger kids, that I was like, there's no possible way, like, this feels so wrong in every possible way that there's no way that the universe will just allow this to happen. It's so wrong, it, it has to be impossible. And when it became possible, it's like I lost faith in the fact that there was some type of protection, you know, um, that's the best way that I can describe it. I, I really haven't been able to figure out how to articulate it exactly. Like what made me feel like I had this sense of safety, um, aside from, you know, God, but there it was, you know, like bad things happen to good people for no, for no reason. And that's, that was something that was really hard to, to accept, you know, and, you know, not that anyone deserves any type of sickness, but, you know, there are diseases and illnesses that, you know, lifestyle things can bring upon you. So like, you know, if you smoke, like, well, there's a chance that you're going to have lung cancer, you know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> right. um, but, you know, the type of cancer that she had, it was, you know, it was rare. It was rare for her demographic. It had nothing to do with lifestyle and there were no symptoms. And she just one day felt, you know, this, this um, mass in her abdomen and the rest is history. You know, she wasn't feeling sick and there literally were no symptoms. And so it just felt like this whole thing was blindsided. You know, she had been blindsided and it just all felt so, you know, I hate saying, I hate the, 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 I hate to say, you know, something wasn't fair, but it just seemed, I mean, if something could have been unjust, it was this, you know 
from a from a cosmic level it just seemed like such a mass massive injustice and i lost faith in and i guess i could say i lost faith in in cosmic justice and karma mm. you know mm-hmm. um so it was just an an absence of belief. I don't want to say there was anger or there was disbelief or there was resentment. Um, there was a bitterness there. And there was also this overwhelming sense of like, I still wanted to believe something. I just know that I couldn't believe what I had believed before. And that was really, that was a really important discovery for me was that I knew that I still wanted to believe in something. I still wanted to have faith in something, but I just knew that it couldn't look anything like what I had believed before because that was proven to me to not be accurate or to be false, a misunderstanding. Well, I think that, you know, finding a deeper faith, finding the truth or the the component of reality, what really is, I think sometimes that comes at the heels of something so devastating and so life-changing. Because I don't, I mean, I personally, myself, questioned why I deserve to exist, you know, coming from a a background of being Hispanic and Catholic and um, very old conservative values and growing up from a mindset of, you know, that there was God and if you did sins and this or that, then you were evil or you would go to hell. And for me, coming to, to the realization that I was gay, it put into question everything that I believed because essentially everyone was telling me that I was evil, I was bad, I didn't deserve to exist, and that I was going to burn for all eternity in hell. And so I questioned everything as soon as that was what I was, what was reflected back to me from those that I looked towards for answers. And so it sounds like you were starting to question and wonder well, what the hell is real? What the hell is the purpose of all of this? Why are we here? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? It sounded like you were starting to go through that period in your life. Oh, yeah, totally. You know, it's funny that you say that because um, those exact same words were said to me um, when I started. So when, when I moved back home, um, to help take care of my mom, I started uh, going to therapy. I'd never been to therapy before, but my mom was such and is such still a huge influence in my life. Um, you know, she was my very best friend. She was my confidant. She was my cheerleader. She was my mentor. I mean, my mom was my world. And so much of my identity and goals and dreams and everything was so entrenched in, in my future with her. So, um, you know, I didn't know how to deal or process with any of this. So I actually, um, crossed paths with a therapist who, um, 
she's a she's a fantastic, phenomenal therapist at um, back home in, in Lafayette, Louisiana, where I'm from, and she, where she uh, works. They're basically a, a Christian based um, like service. They're a Christian based mm-hmm. therapy service, and so that was really important to me in starting work because I, you know, I didn't want anybody to like try to force me to, to look at the quote unquote reality. I wanted someone that could believe with me that she was mm-hmm. going to yield and, and not challenge that at all. Um, so when I started going to therapy, I mean, my therapist was, am- was just truly amazing and just allowing me to start exploring my faith. And, Mm. you know, after my mom passed, I continued therapy with her. And she said, you know, maybe this is because, because I, I had told her, I was like, you know, I, I don't know what to believe anymore. Obviously everything that I believed was wrong. And, and she, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but she ultimately told me that, um, you know, maybe this is an opportunity for you to figure out what an authentic relationship with God looks like. So mm. if, if the traditional sense of, you know, the traditional belief system that you had, if that didn't work, if that failed you, then this is an opportunity for you to figure out what the truth of a relationship with God looks like. And it may not look like anything that we've been taught before, but this is an opportunity for you to dig deeper and your faith will be that much stronger because you'll know that it has been tested and it's rooted in a deeper faith, a a deeper truth. So. Well, I think a a lot of people are going through this process right now. I mean, people are, you know, quarantined and they're at home and they, they have to deal with the reality of the life that they've lived, you know, whether it's through work, whether it's through the relationships with the people around them. I mean, some people, they are doing very well and their families are getting stronger and they're becoming closer. There are others who just are probably going to be getting divorces after this is said and done because they've realized they've made a huge mistake in the person they've chosen to go through thick and thin with, you know? And, uh, so I think a lot of people are going through this inner, and this is this is a time of inner reflection. I mean, you have no choice but to reflect and to assess and to go deep within yourself because all of this is going to bring up within everyone um, some things that they've just not they've been so busy working or doing this or doing that or you know taking care of the cat, kids you know going to PTA whatever um they've been so busy consumed with that that they haven't really looked at themselves and the lives that they've lived and if this is who they really think that they are or if they need to make some changes and i think you know this is very similar to the process you began to go through when you started going to therapy was is this who i really am and is this who is this what serves me? And if it isn't, then what the hell else is there? You know, and we're going to get to that in our next episode because we're we're coming to the end of this episode. So for those of you who want to connect with Kendall, because Kendall is a well-known, um, he is an established uh, 
mindset and lifestyle coach, actually, but he also, he's one of the very important um, pieces in my own uh, business model as well, because he helps me with the strategy work that I do for my um, content and so forth. But for those, for those who want to look you up or kind of get connect with you because it sounds like you might be able to help them in their own process of finding uh, true faith and, and a real relationship with God since you've gone through this now and we'll talk about that more in the next episode but how can people find you yeah so that's great I, I actually do a lot of work on identity and things like that with a lot of my clients I have I actually have a free resource out right now that I designed to help people. Um, sort of ask those important questions because I think you know most of us don't even don't even know what questions to ask to figure out mm-hmm. who we truly are you know and yeah. so much of our identity is wrapped up in our belief systems and um, you know what we believe to be true and what our perspective is so I think you can really shine a lot of light on your blind spots and who you perceive yourself to be by asking some really important questions. And so I have a free resource out right now that helps you do that exact thing. You can actually get it very active on social media on my Instagram. My Instagram handle is at Kendall, K-E-N-D-A-L-L underscore Lejeune is L-E-J-E-U-N-E. So my Instagram handle is just my name, Kendall Lejeune. And uh, that free resource is in my link in my bio. And my uh, website is also there as well in the link in my bio. But if you want to just go directly to my website, it's www.kendall-lejeune at gmail.com. Or excuse me. Yeah, you can also email him. Apparently, you can email him at that same thing. You can do that. Um, again, my website is www.kendall-lejeune.com. Kendall-lejeune.com. Yeah. <laughs> and for those of you who want to find me, you can just go to my website at fernandomarone.com, F-E-R-N-A-N-D-O-M-A-R-R-O-N.com. And you can get to Instagram and Facebook and all the other things. And um, you can get to, to all of that from there. So we will be back next week with the second half of this uh, story of just uh, – resolution not only that but i think in beginning the stages of building that real relationship and so uh we'll be back next week uh with the second half of our story